The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. This is Toby Van High with an extra special bonus episode of Gone by Lunchtime. Chris Hipkins has just completed a trip to China with a big old business delegation and a bunch of media, among them our very own Madeline Chapman, editor of the spin-off, who's just arrived back, parachuted out of the 757, the Prayer Force One, um, one of them, and has landed here in the studio. Hi, Matt. Hello. Um, fascinating trip. Beijing, Shanghai, and... Just those two. Yeah. Although uh, Hipkins went to Tianjin okay. for the World Economic Forum, which I that's did right, not go that's to. Right, that's right. No, because you know that the, the secret plot to take over the world. You yes. steer clear of them. And I instead went to the Great Hall, the Great Wall, the which Great was Wall. genuinely much more interesting. Was it? Yeah. Oh, good call. Um, you did go to the Great Hall too. Let's start there because that's, you know, that's this incredible, famous place. It's the, in a way, the, you know, like being in the Oval Office or something really, and although I guess a bit more, a bit more exhibitional. Tell me about that. You were in there. Paint us a picture. What was it like seeing um, Chris Hipkins go to the Great Hall of the People in Beijing to meet President Xi? It's interesting that you mention the Oval Office or the White House because some of the reporters who had been there for, um, I think, Joe Biden Mm. maybe, um, basically said, oh, this is much more impressive than, yeah, the, yeah. than the White House. Um, just for sheer scale, it is a humongous uh-huh. place. Yeah. Um, you kind of walk in, and you don't really feel like you're walking inside some, somewhere because it's just, you're still just surrounded by open air, essentially. Mm. Um, and everything is sort of confusingly big in that you know, like a tree in there is massive or a plant is huge and the <laughs> right. tables are huge. So everything is just massive. Yeah. And the one hint that you can get is, I think I put up a photo, it's a very bad photo, but it was showing people walking through a door and the door is huge and the only thing that's for scale really is the lift next to it, which is like uh-huh. only goes up like a third of the way up the doorway. And I think that... There was a one ordinary size thing in the whole place. But everything is just, I kind of, you know, they make jokes about how when Hipkins met 
Xi, mm. they were sitting like 10 metres apart at these huge oak tables. Mm. But if they had been sitting at a table like this, it would have looked like they were in the middle of a rugby field right. having a meeting. Like it would look ridiculous. Right. So it would look even worse than what they did, which was this huge grand uh-huh. so, long bank So adjusted tables. for scale, they seem relatively close together. Yeah, like it seemed appropriate. Uh-huh. Um, it was also like they were very... The Chinese officials were very strict on, you know, there's a lot of security going in, mm. obviously. Um, everyone couldn't take in water, which was a interesting restriction. Your, like, press badges had your full name, like, including middle name. Mm. And I think they someone read it because it was in Mandarin, said, oh, it says, um, here on behalf of Chris Hipkins, Prime Minister of New Zealand, mm. like specifically you got the date, like it's all very... Your bank account details. Yeah, blah, date blah, blah, of birth, blah. all of that. <laughs> um, but it was just, yeah, just a lot of people standing around, again, lots of open space. At yes. one point, we were in a um, signing ceremony the day after, which was back at the Great Hall of the People, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, I'll just, this is a bit boring, I'll just walk out and go back to the press area. And I just sort of walked out and nobody followed me, which they have a lot of minders walking around. And so for the first time I was just by myself and it felt illegal. Like I was, mm. I just sort of wandered out and then I was looking around and I was like, am I about to get arrested? What is happening? And I turned around corner cause it's so huge. And then just all of these men in suits just sort of whip, whip their heads like, who uh-huh. is that? And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like, like, it's nothing. And then sort of like shuffled back and found found my people in the in the press room. But it's very, yeah, it's quite daunting. It's like very silent. Everything's so quiet. Nobody talks. Um, yeah, everybody wears black. It's uh, yeah, it was a real, it was a real experience. And then kind of in a way where you leave and you go, this didn't need to be that quiet, you know. It's mm. all just it's kind of a bit of a show, but. And it wasn't the only one. Hipkins was there. Was the second meeting of the day in the Great Hall with Xi? Was that yes. Right? Well, at least the second. Yeah, because um, there were like four, I think, across two days, and they were put on the front pages of some of the papers. Yeah, the identical photos of yeah. him meeting all well, he of was, the he was, all of the leaders. Yeah, there was one of the leaders got more of a smile. I can't remember which one it was. But it was oh, from, it was kind of like he's obviously said something <laughs> very funny because I've never seen Xi smiling so broadly. <laughs> he did give a genuine smile. Um, to Hipkins during the opening remarks, uh-huh. like a, I think it was when he said friend and partner, actually. Right. It was a, you know, looked like a quite warm, genuine smile. He definitely seemed fairly relaxed, which might have been a result of his Barbados meeting just before. <laughs> might have gone pretty well, so it's <laughs> in a good mood. Sort of, yeah, that's right. A kind of good curtain raise with mm-hmm. Barbados, sort of, yeah, lighten the load. Um, and so there were those opening remarks, and then what? And, and you got you you that those weren't before the media, and then they disappeared, or you were disappeared out of the room. Yes, we were disappeared. Not, 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 I, don't that, I don't mean that in a sinister way. No, yeah. So they were very strict on how how many media could go. So yes. I was one of two sort of print media that mm. were allowed in. Me and um, Luke from Luke Malpas from Stuff, and. I thought, oh, that must be really particular because there's not much room and they don't want to crowd it. We walked in, you got to walk about 30 metres just to get up to the rope inside the room in order to stand there at a safe distance. Mm. Um, 
and I think I took a photo of behind us because behind us it was just you could fit about 300 journalists in there if you wanted to and you'd still be fine. Mm. But, yeah, so they did the opening remarks. They had the translators. You did listen through the earpiece. And then as soon as Chris Hipkins finished his response, Mm -hmm. then they lower the rope and they do some very silent shuffling to get everyone out. And so I think I caught one extra sentence or something from G as we were walking out in the earpiece, which was sort of a, he did a bit of a repeat of what he'd already said about how the trip's going to be great, but then also said, um, we assume this trip will help you understand China more or sort of like a deepening of the trust and Mm. understanding of China um, after this trip. So, Hmm. and then, and then they cut off the, cut off the headset and then they just close the door and then that's it and then and they it. lead you outside and then you and then and then that's all you get to see of G and then you went back to the hotel I think and there was a stand up with Hipkins to hear about what went down yeah, well or not really well, hear about <laughs> not, <laughs> so, not hear, hear about the, what went down hear the words warm and constructive oh my gosh maybe so 10 times. Times. The, and then they kept going even I was watching one of the stand ups in Shanghai and they were still banging on about everyone's warm and constructive as well, if that had been really really rattled into their brains i think he was yeah i think he maybe overcompensated um because of justin trudeau getting told off for mm. revealing too much about his meeting yeah. um and that was why he was particularly pronounced and saying i shall not speak for what the what 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 yeah. what, what president g said i can only say what i said was yeah sort of almost strained, you know. Yeah, and then, he, yeah, he, he stumbled a bit on the friend and partner thing. I think he, mm. he kind of instinctively tried not to answer the question and then maybe after a while realised that actually it's a fairly standard question and a bit of a pleasantry yeah. and probably it's fine for him to just say, yeah, sure, we're friends and partners. But you've been so, and, and you know, he himself has said he was a relative rookie of, you know, foreign mm. policy and it's such a, it's like one of those word games, you know, like where you can't say yes and no or no or one of those other things and so you're, or, or just a minute, you know, where you can't repeat, you know, you're sort of talking and trying to sound human but conscious that everything could be a trap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. you could go falling deep into the bowels of the earth, right? Yeah, I think he, that was clearly the kind of approach going in. Even, you know, when people said, was was this topic raised, which was mm. the dictator question. Yes. And he said, well, I'm not going to say what they said. And they yeah. go, well, you don't have to say what he said, no. but did it come up? Yeah. Uh, well, I won't say what uh, well, he said. No, and then he, he goes, like, well, we didn't bring it up. <laughs> that's right. like, but then he pauses and goes, <laughs> Uh, we didn't bring it up. It's kind of like, okay, you've answered the question, I guess. But yeah, yeah, and that so. was, of course, because Biden had, in remarks following Anthony Blinken's visit to Beijing, said that Xi was a dictator. Which, 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 pretty much is. You're going is. semantically I mean, he's an with authoritarian like that, leader yeah. of a <laughs> modern <laughs> great nation. Anyway, but but the Hipkins obviously, and clearly G liked that. Like yes. that was, and I think that was kind of made known in various ways, including that I didn't raise it. But da 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 da. And in terms of these kind of verbal gymnastics, right? Like there are other things. Like the last thing you want to do is like accidentally describe Taiwan as a country. Again, which it is, you know, for fear that you might, you know, suddenly create some kind of diplomatic crisis. And so he did. Do you think he, I mean, he's the other side of this too, that we should not kind of joke about is there are obviously these very serious human rights uh, 
questions uh, what's going on in Xinjiang and the, with the, the Uyghurs that some describe as a, as a genocide. It's very serious. And um, it seemed pretty clear that Chris Hopkins had kind of just gone through, done, done what he needed to do in a relatively perfunctory fashion and said, we are concerned about X, we are concerned about Y. Was it the sense you got? Yes, I think... Yeah, the fact that he said it was they were referenced rather than addressed right. is quite a but you know, for someone who was very careful with his words, that's quite telling. But um yeah, I think it does it's one of those ones where you you know, it makes sense to question that, but at the same time, in terms of an outcome, I think obviously there, w- there would be little, you know, mm. She's not going to go, oh, no one's ever said that to me Actually, before. That does make me think. Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. I should reconsider some of my mm. um, actions. But it also sort of put some good context into the Nanaya Mahuta, you know, being harangued for right. yeah. an hour, which suggests that she was probably a bit more willing to bring up those things yep. with potentially the more relevant person, um, sure. her counterpart. So I think that's, you know, I wouldn't, in terms of even if she was, I wouldn't have thought that that was a negative outcome for New Zealand because it just means that she was willing to that's, to discuss that's, those way, things a bit more robustly. Hope for. That was a report in the Australian, wasn't it, in the days ahead of the, the Hipkins year meeting that described her as being harangued for, uh, for an hour um, uh, rather than her haranguing her counterpart <laughs> for an hour. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's obviously a performance aspect to all of this, isn't there? Like, I mean, there wasn't... There wasn't any. Was there anything, thinking from the political side, the geopolitical side, that wasn't couldn't quite couldn't quite comfortably have been predicted or described? Did it ever go off script in any way? Was there any sense of anything that was happening that was unexpected? I don't think so. Hmm. I think it did. It was one of those ones where obviously. The media stand-up after, he got a lot of questions about why he he did or didn't raise these, um, you know, issues, human rights issues. Hmm. I think overall in terms of him going into it, I think he was quite pleased with how it all went. Like hmm. it was a very successful meeting in that uh, he did not piss off right. the Chinese president yeah. and jeopardise all of the businesses and yeah. trade that had gone over there. Um and I think that was ultimately that must have ultimately been the goal, and so it was a the the negative aspect was just well, how do I let New Zealand and New Zealand media know that I did not bring up this thing that they wanted them to uh-huh, bring up? Uh-huh. But in terms of the goals that they wanted, I think it was all it, it all yeah. went swimmingly. Yeah, and and he he was I mean he Hipkins was keen to impress that he had uh, made known to G particularly around Ukraine, their views on that. That's mm. the sort of area where you felt as though he could be a little bit more comfortable and confident in terms of trying to, you know, yes. convey a view. Because it, it's not, we're really concerned about what you're doing in the Pacific. Mm. It's, we feel strongly for uh, that the, the Ukraine has been invaded and need to stand up for it and so on, yeah? Yeah, and I think his meeting the next day with Premier Li Tiang was... Mm-hmm. Uh, felt like there was a lot of covering topics and I don't know whether this was already planned or if it was influenced by the reaction to mm. his earlier meeting but uh, particularly you know there was a very specific mention of Māori tourism and indigenous culture in yeah. New Zealand which was um, omitted I suppose from the 
from the president meeting. Uh-huh. Um, and then he also was very quick and eager to state that he had discussed at greater length the human rights concerns uh-huh. and things like that. So, uh-huh. again, you go, I don't know whether that was a correction or whether they had always planned to have that type of discussion with the Premier rather than the President. And the President was just a, let's make sure we're still friendly yeah. uh, meeting. Yeah. And when you were there, did you stare deep into Xi's uh, eyes in the way that John Key, for example, has done and kind of get a, the, you know, the, the world's most inscrutable man? <laughs> were you able to, did you feel as though you understood him properly and well? Did you, were the, give us the, how were the, how were the Chapman vibes? One thing that was interesting that I didn't note in my report on the meeting, which I kind of only realised after, was that most of the people in that room, particularly the journalists, they're all looking around, seeing, mm. seeing what's happening. I was certainly looking around making notes. Uh, the security people, um, they're sort of, that's their whole job is essentially just to look straight ahead and be inscrutable. But mm. um, the people on the tables... You know, on the New Zealand side, there was a little bit of like, oh, let's have a look at, you know, the media's coming in, let's have a look at them, and oh, then yeah. let's have a look at, like, who else is around. Xi Jinping does not look at anyone else. Like, it's uh, he's not curious about uh, yeah. what's going on in the room around I mean, because he knows what's going on in the room around right. him. So it was literally just stare down at the paper, stare up at Chris Hipkins. Okay, so Chris Hipkins was the only person who got to stare deeply into his eyes. That's the same as John Key, right? So Deep, they know deeply from a distance, went, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get that lovely smile, yeah. And one of the reasons that the, the, that Hipkins meeting is important is that the, the trip as a whole, in large part, is a kind of, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sales exercise, right? Like, a, obviously, to reopen doors to the trade delegation, all that sort of stuff. But tell us a bit about that. You wrote quite entertainingly about Hipkins selling New Zealand in how many months? Was it 17? 17, yeah. Yeah, what was the, how, I mean, it's quite a lot of, it is quite a quite a sales job that that, 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 that is Hipkins as New Zealand, I think, more than many countries, partly because of our size and our nature, is that it's 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 their job too. There aren't... The, the Prime Minister is expected to go out there and press the flesh and cut the ribbons and give a thousand speeches and, you know, was that what you saw? Yes, the schedule was packed, even apparently by regular right. trade mission standards. Right. Like they really packed him in there. Um, it did the feedback from the businesses who were present. There was 29 of them. Mm-hmm. Um Anyone I happened to speak to at one of the many events did say that having Chris Hipkins in the room just opened a lot of doors. What are they? they the wording was sort of knocking on open doors, basically. Right. Like, there's a tech company that um, had a meeting over there about kind of developing relationships in gaming and mm-hmm. things like that. And he said that the, there was more done in that one meeting than 10 years of sort of virtual discussions right. that had been had. Right. So I think that's ultimately he was just there to kind of introduce people and shepherd people into a meeting room together. But, um, yeah, some of the stuff I just thought, I hope this pays off because this seems like not a great use of the Prime Minister's <laughs> time to be to be saying, well, you know, he said New Zealand is open for business. That yeah. was the big tagline that was said in every single speech and then he would shake some hands take some photos eat an item of food way too quickly 
um, I did advise one of his staff members that they should remind him that if he takes smaller spoonfuls of things, you don't have to open your mouth as wide because there were a lot of photos of him eating with like mouth wide open in local media. And I was like, you got you got to do the small, a small fork, small mouthful. Okay. Otherwise, you get the John Key, um, John Key hot dog photo. Do a video demonstrating that <laughs> to provide to this. I mean, I can see why he was doing it because you got to. He wanted to finish it quickly so mm. he could move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, not and good. Was, a lot of eating. It wasn't until the last day that the sausage rolls were rolled out. I, think, so so that, I had one of those and it was really good. Was it? I think there was a lot of mocking about that. Was it warm and constructive? No, actually, <laughs> it was a little bit cold. Oh. Um, but that was a Fonterra event, so I thought, oh, yeah, local, you know, a bit of local connection, so mm. it makes sense that they would probably be aware of the sausage rolls um, and, you know, made a joke about it. But that was the only item in about 20 items that they had put out that was empty by the time everyone left. Like, right. they were a hit. Right. Well, he's, go. he's got something, he's onto something with the sausage rolls. He's got everything. Just on that, when you mentioned the Grey Hall and you turned that corner and then suddenly you saw some people walking after you, how was that true of the entire trip? Did Was it was it sort of stage managed to within an inch of its life? Could you, I mean, I'm thinking of those years ago when Patrick Gower disappeared off to the Oroveda office in Shanghai. Were you, were you kept on... I mean, I don't want to say tight leash, but was it was it was it was was the were the media pretty well contained for the course of that week? Yes, it was. If you, yeah, there weren't there weren't a lot of opportunities to. You would basically have to decline to be present for either an event or a media stand up in order to do mm-hmm. something else. I mm-hmm. think the whole week probably the most time that was like quote-unquote free, which is essentially now you can write your stories, was like an hour Mm. max Um, or late in the evening, I suppose. So everything was, uh, yeah, there there wasn't a lot of free time. I think I went for a walk that required missing an event. Mm. Like that was about the extent. I Mm. went for a walk and had dinner and ordered about five times as much food as I could eat by accident. So, Did you eat it yeah. with a little fork? <laughs> no, actually, it was a hot <laughs> pot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so th- there wasn't much room to kind of go exploring. It's hmm. also, you're not going to get very far because all of the embassy people are kind of your minders and they can speak Mandarin and, and help you get around. Mm. Um, and also traffic-wise... We got everywhere very quickly because we were on the back of the motorcade most of the time. We dropped off a couple of times, which caused a bit of drama. But um, once you're off the motorcade, yeah, you're not going anywhere fast. So mm. um, it was probably just safer for most people to just follow the program. And one of the kind of perennials almost of trips abroad by prime ministers or presidents or whatever is that there's always the domestic reality playing away in its own humdrum uh, fashion. Sometimes there are coups mounted in years gone by when 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 leaders are abroad. Chris Hipkins has so far this year had the Mekafaitari thing happen when he was in Europe. Um, he remember he was sort of <laughs> constantly <laughs> checking his phone or calling and not getting getting ghost, fully ghosted by Mecca. Uh, this time, the Curry Allen story 
started to emerge while Hipkins was in, I suppose it was at Beijing at the end and then Shanghai. What was that like? I mean, it's a, I'm sort of fascinated by the kind of anthropology of it in a way because it's this crazy juxtaposition of this incredibly, could not have a bigger geopolitical engagement, notwithstanding the stage management of it all, all that sort of stuff. And then on the domestic front, you've got this really quite kind of, um, you know, what else should we say, bread and butter type scandal emerging, you know, involving uh, a minister who's alleged to have shouted at some people and so on. What, how, how was it managing that? Did the whole, the whole, the whole press gallery, of course, become become focused on that because that's their their, their own day to day focus? Yeah. Yeah, I think the I think the story came out. Andrew Vance's original reporting came out mm. while he was while Hipkins was in the meeting with the premier. So right. So he had the meeting. Yeah. They went off to chat a bit and then they were going to sign some documents. So we were all sitting around waiting for the signing part and then suddenly somebody said, ooh, have you read this? Mm. And then, you know, everyone got out their phones. There was a bit of chat about that, but obviously it meant that all of the questions that had been planned to ask him about his meeting with the Premier mm. then shifted to what's going on with Kitty Allen. So that was then, you know, even though there are press gallery reporters also in the country at the same time, they don't have access to the Prime Minister. So even mm. though we're there to report on the China trip, everyone's situation, you know, turns to whatever the most pressing issue was for the Prime Minister. So that meant that he did all of that, shook some more hands, came to the media stand-up, got immediately questioned at length mm. about Kitty Allen, and then a little bit about his meeting with the Premier, and then had to go and give a half an hour speech at a university, which was quite bad. And I think because he didn't, he wasn't planning, you know, I think he was planning to like finesse the speech. Yeah, right. Whereas instead he before kind of the before he got briefing there. notes that yeah and instead he's kind of like thinking about this domestic issue um, going on back home so it did it did end up having an effect I mm. think he was I think the next day Thomas Coughlin very <laughs> sort of delicately I guess um, described him in the stand up as being quite flat mm. on Wednesday um, which he which he was, it was like, you could tell he was distracted. He mm. was thinking about other things um, in the next four events that he had to go to after that one. So it was, it did become, I think it kind of overshadowed a little bit, but at the same time, because by then he had had his two big meetings and then it was business, which was a little bit, still very important, but I think probably a bit less stressful for mm. him. Mm. Then I think that made it kind of, Less, less of a derailing and more just a probably annoying thing to have to think about. Hey, finally, uh, the there was the Temetini winners were mm -hmm. on the trip too. Uh, Tefano Apanui. That was that was that a sort of affectation or was that meaningful? You've written a bit about what you saw there on on, on the site today. Tell us tell us about the role they played in the in the trip. Yeah, I started writing the piece that's on the site now, um, on the first day, because we went to the Porphyry. Well, actually, it started at the airport, at Wellington Airport, about 5 a.m. Uh -huh. uh, we all got 
ushered into the Kuru Lounge eventually because um, Greg Foran was on the trip. So we all shuffled in there. <laughs> He's got the super golden lead. <laughs> yes, Can I does. take 120 friends <laughs> in with me? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, we all shuffled in there and then um, there was a karakia and a waiata, which I thought, oh, that's very nice, and then found out that that is not usually what happens in the Kuru Lounge before a business delegation uh-huh. trip. Uh-huh. Um and basically we're told, all of the business leaders and the media, we're told, you will be expected to sing this song anytime we sing it. Mm-hmm. Essentially then, turns out that the Te Whanua, Apanui and the business delegates and the Prime Minister were staying in the same hotel. Oh. And the media were in a separate hotel. Oh. Yeah. Um, what was, did you, did you, I'm sure you looked at what the <laughs> price comparisons, were you a uh, Oh, they star, were both very, down? they were both very nice, although okay. I think the other one might have been a little bit nicer. But, um. Okay. But it did mean that basically they were practicing in the lobby, mm. you know, with the business delegate. And they spent a lot more time. The Kapahaka and the business delegate spent a lot more time than the media did mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, I started writing it as, as a, oh, look, the prime minister is correcting the Phil Goff coronation faux pas, uh, which was acknowledged that that was part of the reason why hmm. they were invited along. Um and so my original piece was going to be a bit of an assessment of was this worth it? You know, how how did this play out as a bit of a kind of apology slash correction? But by the end of it, Te Whanua Apanui were like a little bit famous in China. They did a hacker on the Great Wall. It went all over Chinese social media. Right. They were sort of being recognized around at different events and stuff. And they also, outside of just performing, you know, it wasn't just, and now we're going to do a performance and then you sit down and we carry on with our business. Yeah. They were very involved because Penny Henare being the tourism minister, he did speeches in Te Reo, he did the haka with them. When there was mm. gifting happening, they were very involved in the kind of ceremonial aspect. So it was all a lot more integrated than I expected it to be. Um, and so... Basically, by the end of the trip, I had planned to sort of ask or um, push a little bit on whether the Prime Minister planned to do this again, because obviously, you know, there's a cost involved and it's a big group. And unprompted, when he was just asked about how he felt about the trip, he said, oh, we're looking to incorporate this more into future mission Mm. trips. So I think it is, obviously, it helps to have a foreign minister who is Māori and a tourism minister who is Māori. And... Certainly, by the end of the trip, I was starting to wonder, I wonder if you can have a tourism minister who's not Māori or who can't speak Māori, because it really added a whole layer to um, a lot of Hinari's speeches, which were very good. Um, Yeah, so it became this quite amazing integration, and I think a much truer representation of what New Zealand has to offer beyond, you know, milk products and yeah. well you know, that's soft and, power right that's an yeah. expression of soft power right there yeah yeah so it was it was really great and they were like definitely outshone the prime minister at every event you know they were the they were the stars um and i think they by all accounts also enjoyed the trip so mm. yeah i think i do think it could be potentially a, a sort of a preview to what future mm. prime ministerial trips will look like in terms of the personnel that's present, or like the non-negotiables, I suppose. 
Fascinating. Thank you, Mad. That's Madeline Chapman, editor of the Spinoff. You can read her piece on the Tiamatini Group and a bunch of others mm-hmm. on the spinoff.co.nz. Is that right? I think that's the, Yeah, I think that's great. That's right. Hey, thanks, Samuel, for making this work. Thank you to members. And we will return with a Gone by Lunchtime classic featuring Ben Thomas and Annabelle Mather later in the week. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.